So we're continuing this January sermon series called Back to the Basics, and we are focusing on the fundamentals of faith. What are our priorities? What are the things that are most important when it comes to the Christian life, and how do we make sure that we live a life that reflects that, and uh, that we live a life where our time and our energy goes into the things that we say are most important? So let me begin with this story. When I was in college, I was a junior in college, a group of us took a trip to Beaver Creek, Colorado to go skiing. And um, I don't know if you remember your college spring break trips, but uh, they're usually interesting uh, to say the least. But we went out west and we were skiing and the next to last day that we were skiing, uh, we decided that it would be fun to go down this one run that had a huge jump on it. And, um, and my friends were gonna do the jump, so I decided that I too should do the jump, and I did. And uh, when I hit the jump, I got a lot higher in the air than I thought I would, a lot higher than this pulpit. And I kind of freaked out a little bit, and my skis were going crazy, and uh, what happened was I, I went over the top of my skis, and my skis came straight into the ground, and it threw me into the slope, and my head bounced off the snow, and it basically knocked me out, or close to it. And the next thing you know, I was um, being carried down the mountain on one of those bobsled things on a stretcher. And um, I got down to the medical uh, place down at the bottom of the mountain, and they were checking me out and asking me questions. And and then finally, you know, my face was was messed up, and they said, well, I think you're going to be okay. You've obviously suffered a concussion. You didn't break any bones, which is amazing. And, uh, but the bad news is you can't ski uh, the rest of the trip. Now, thankfully, we only had one day left before we were going to head back. But I had to find something to do the next day. So what did I do? I went out and I got a job for the summer. I got a job at Beaver Creek Golf Club. And so two months later, I came back to Beaver Creek and I spent the summer before my senior year of college uh, working out there. Well, that was the beginning of three summers where I lived and worked in Colorado and I absolutely love it out there. I, uh, I, I worked at the golf club. I uh, went backpacking and fished and golfed and did all kinds of things. And uh, the mountains out west, the summer is probably the, the greatest time to be there, even though skiing is fun. Well, the following summer, after I graduated from co- college, I was back out there. And, and I was uh, waiting tables and, and bartending at a, a, a restaurant in, in Vail Village. And uh, I'll never forget, it was a place called Pazzo's. If you've ever been to Vail, you might know that place. It's a crazy kind of pizza place. But it was a busy night and uh, lots of people coming in and out and lots of tables. And, and I would always get into these interesting conversations with people because they found out that I was going to go to seminary. And they thought that that was really intriguing. And they, wanted, they had lots of questions uh, about that. Well, I had a great conversation with this, this group that was from the East Coast and the restaurant was busy, and they were, you know, finishing up and getting up to leave. But before they left, one of the guys came to the back of the restaurant, and he found me, and he said, he said, Clay, I want you to remember something. And I've never forgotten this. He said, I want you to remember that there is a big difference between knowing about God and actually knowing God. Knowing about God versus actually knowing God. And that always stuck with me. And so this morning, what I'd like to say is, as Christians, there is a big difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. 
And that's what I want to do this morning is I want to explain to you the difference or at least try to begin to explain uh, the difference. What does it mean to know about Jesus? Well, there's a book that I uh, am recommending. It's not up here. It's called Creed by Adam Hamilton. And he does a great job in the book of kind of giving a sketch of Jesus's life, who he was, what he did, what he taught. And he includes some of these things. Jesus was born in Bethlehem around 4 BCE uh, in the Roman province of Judea when Herod the Great was king. Shortly after his birth, his family moved to Nazareth, a small village largely made up of peasants or working class people. Jesus' parents were Mary and Joseph, and Joseph was a carpenter and possibly a stonemason as well. There's very little found in the Gospels about Jesus' growing up years, about his youth. We do find one account uh, in Luke's Gospel where his parents are traveling with the group and they leave Jerusalem and they actually leave Jesus behind. And they come back, I guess they were dismayed, he was 12 years old, and they look for him and they find him in the temple, listening to the rabbis, listening to the teachings. The primary focus of the Gospels is on the final three years of Jesus' life. So basically from the time he was 30, 31 until his death. He was baptized by his cousin John the Baptist in the Jordan River. After his baptism, we're told that he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. That's where we get the, the Lenten journey that will be coming up here soon, where he fasted and was tempted, but he did not give in to temptation. According to Luke, when Jesus begins his public ministry, he quotes the words of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, by saying this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus's ministry was marked by his compassion for the sick, the marginalized and those who were lost. He taught in basic stories that we call parables. His best-known ethical teaching is called the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I always tell people, if you're looking for a place to start reading the Bible, begin there. Because that's the heart of Jesus' teaching. That's, that's the, the thesis. That's the, 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 the tough stuff to wrestle with. He summarized God's demands for his people in two basic commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. From the very outset, Jesus found himself at odds with the religious authorities of his day, and he was not afraid to call them out. He had a problem with their legalism. The fact that they knew the law, but that, that it was all about enforcing rules. Jesus' words and actions set him on a collision course with the authorities, and things reached a boiling point during the third year of his public ministry when Jesus entered Jerusalem a week before the great festival of Passover. According to Adam Hamilton, Jesus was not concerned with overthrowing the Romans, as many people thought he would be. He understood that God's kingdom existed wherever people put their trust in God and sought to love God and love their neighbor. He taught them that the kingdom of God is among them and within them. And in this kingdom, Jesus said that people not only love God and their neighbor, but they love their enemy. They feed the hungry, they clothe the naked, they visit the sick and the imprisoned. Citizens of this kingdom practice forgiveness rather than seeking revenge. In this kingdom, the truly great act as servants and humility is a cardinal virtue. The people shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday because they thought that Jesus would 
would overthrow the Romans and save them. But what they didn't realize was that Jesus had come to save them, not from the Romans, but from themselves. The enemy he sought to deliver was the hate, the indifference, the pride, the hypocrisy in every human heart. What the Bible calls sin, what I often refer to as brokenness, that's often the result of selfishness. And the resulting alienation from God and neighbor that sin brings. He came to save them from fear, lovelessness, hopelessness, and ultimately death. Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. He was handed over to Pontius Pilate. He was falsely tried, given a crown of thorns. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was nailed to a cross to be executed. He died. He was buried. But three days later, the tomb was empty because he had been raised. Now that helps answer the question, what does it mean to know about Jesus? But the more important question this morning is what does it mean to actually know Jesus? I just gave you a summary of his life, uh, a snapshot of the things he did and what happened to him. And guess what? There's lots of people in our culture. There's lots of Christians, lots of people uh, in churches who know about Jesus, but far fewer actually know Jesus. What does it mean to know Jesus? It means a lot of things, but I'll give you three basic ideas this morning to kind of help begin that process. Three basic statements. The first is this. Jesus is very concerned with the state of our hearts. You see, back in the first century, everything religious was about the laws, the rules, the rituals, the Ten Commandments given to Moses at Mount Sinai was at the heart of the law. Everybody knew what it was. Uh, you know this. They include, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. So everything was built around the law. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees were experts in the law. But Jesus says, no, it's not just about following the law. That's important, but it's about your heart. It's about your motive. It's why you do what you do in life. So that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. It's anger that leads to murder. So watch out for anger. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's lust that leads to adultery. So watch out for lust. He said, um, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. What? You see, Jesus is concerned with the heart, motive, not just with the rules, the things that cause us to break the rules in the very first place begin in our heart. And that's what we have to pay attention to. Jesus is concerned with what's going on in the heart. Secondly, 
If you want to know Jesus, then you must understand that Jesus cared about the poor and he calls us to care about the poor. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't care about the rich. But nobody can argue that Jesus had a preferential treatment for the poor. Why? Because they were his people. He was from Nazareth, a peasant village. He knew them. He saw their plight. He saw their struggle. He knew how hard life was on them. He also knew that they were being exploited in many ways, taken advantage of through the systems, through the taxes, and many of them didn't have a voice. You know, <clears throat> I'm going to try to say this carefully. And, and there is perhaps no greater divider in our culture than socioeconomics. And I don't mean that anything other than just empirically. Money and wealth give people opportunities and options that others simply don't have. And in our culture, there are so many different levels of wealth. We all know that. And some people have opportunities that others only dream of having. But to understand who Jesus was, you must understand that he cared for the poor. And he challenged those of us who follow him to also care for the poor. It's why we have ministries like Room in the Inn and the National Food Project and the Habitat. We're called to care for the poor. Part of being a Christian is caring for the poor. Now, where it gets interesting is when we talk about what's the best way to care for the poor. Enter politics. Different opinions out there about how to best care for the poor. Give them a fish, teach them to fish. Do you remember the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19? Jesus is entering Jericho, a big crowd is gathered. Zacchaeus was this short little uh, tax collector guy and he climbs up in a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And so Jesus sees this little short guy up in the tree and he says, hey, you, come down. I'm going to your house. What? Going to your house. And Jesus goes with Zacchaeus to his house and he has lunch or dinner. And all the people in the village are astounded because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a, a, not liked by the people and Jesus went to have to dine with him. But what happens when Jesus is with Zacchaeus? Jesus changes Zacchaeus's heart and Zacchaeus says, half of what I have, I'll give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay them back four times as much. Jesus was challenging people to care about those who have less. It didn't mean that he didn't love the people that were rich or well off, but he challenged them to do what they could to make a difference so that they could help other people. He had a special place in his heart for the poor because they were his people. He was from Nazareth. And he says, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Lastly, what does it mean to know Jesus? It means understanding that the kingdom of God is very different from the kingdoms of this world. And the challenge for all of us is that we have to live in both. And that's not always easy. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
Let me share this quote by Hamilton again. In this kingdom, Jesus said, people not only love God and their neighbor, they love their enemy. They feed the hungry, they clothe the naked, they visit the sick and the imprisoned. Citizens of this kingdom practice forgiveness rather than seek revenge. And in this kingdom, the truly great act is servants and humility is a cardinal virtue. Now, I don't know if you've checked out Washington, D.C. lately, but humility is in short supply in both parties. There's a lot of self-righteousness in politics. There's a lot of, I have to be right. And having to be right at all costs and never giving an inch is not a good way to live life. To know Jesus means that we recognize that we are called to live differently, humbly, compassionately, truthfully, courageously, mercifully. To know Jesus means that we try to understand the pain and the hurt that others are dealing with and we do our best to help them. We do our best to not let them struggle alone. Everybody's got pain. Everybody's got problems that they're dealing with and there's nothing worse than than feeling like you're having to deal with your problems all by yourself. Knowing Jesus on a deep level will not leave you the same because when you look around, you'll see how much pain and hurt and coldness there is in this world and you'll want to do your very best to match it with love, compassion, and support. It'll change you. It'll change the way you see other people. It won't leave you the same. And no, it's not always easy because there's always more people to help. And yes, you do need to take care of yourself because if you don't, you'll burn out. But knowing Jesus will give you a reason and a purpose to live. And we're going to talk more about that question of meaning and purpose next Sunday. I want to close this morning with the the words to a hymn that we're about to sing in just a minute. It's kind of a famous old church hymn. Many of us have heard it. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Amen.